0: I have enjoyed going through this uncovered Bible study over these past several weeks, and we are continuing in that tonight. And uh, I'll mention again, this is a study that hopefully you can take. You can uh, teach this as well, and and that's really the whole point uh, of this study, is that you would take this and teach it. And we have this available in our bookstore that you can pick up, and you can carry this with you or have it in your vehicles, set up Bible studies with somebody. Hey, Amen. This is, this is the idea. This is what we are called to do, is to uh, not just keep all this to ourselves, but let somebody else know about this. And there's so many people, so many people that have a Bible in their home, but it has sat covered up, unopened for quite some time. And it's time for us to uncover the Word of God. It's time for us to open it up, and you know sometimes when when people do that, they get a bit lost, and maybe even people who they have grown up, they had grown up in the church, maybe as a child, but uh, this this Bible is intimidating to many people. It's a big book that has. Uh, you know, if they're reading the King James version, maybe it's a little bit intimidating language. And so, uh, for many, it's, it, it, just ends up sitting there and they, they don't know where to start or they don't know how to apply it to their lives. And, and hopefully that's what this study can do is to help us go from book or from cover to cover and, uh, to, to learn how does all this fit together? How does all this apply to my life? And, and tonight is really the crux of all of this. Uh, because the whole Bible really is pointing right here to the middle pages. It's not not truly the, the total middle, just because the Old Testament is uh, lengthier than the New Testament. But right here, as we get into the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, the whole Old Testament is pointing forward to this. The rest of the New Testament is pointing back to this moment right here when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene and we see the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so uh, this is where we are at tonight. We're going to have um, just a couple more lessons uh, of this. And then we are going to be, uh, during the month of June, shifting a little bit. And we will have, uh, I'll, I'll kind of focus on that next week, what we will Start doing in June, but I'm truly looking forward to our Bible studies in June. Um, we're going to be splitting out into different groups, and um, it's going to be a little bit different. But uh, here tonight, let's get into the Word of God. Uh, let's. Uh, we're going to start in the Book of Matthew, chapter one. Matthew chapter one, as we talk about the arrival of the Christ. So when Jesus stepped onto the scene. Uh, when he stepped onto the scene in, in Israel, there had been this very long-awaited expectation of a coming Savior. He had all these Old Testament prophets that they had declared that God was going to send somebody who would restore Israel. They would restore Israel to become God's kingdom here on earth. And so this is something that had been long-awaited in that individual Uh, who was going to come, the individual who would restore God's kingdom here on earth would be known as the Christ. So my question is, does anybody know what that word Christ means? Messiah? Somebody say Messiah? Okay. That is, uh, do we have uh, anything else? Messiah, we could could write that down because that is uh, synonymous with Christ, we can get, um, expand that a little bit as well, if anybody has anything else I want to throw out there. The Savior, Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. In the original Greek, that word Christ or Christos, it would be interpreted as the anointed one of God. It's the anointed one of God. You have the Messiah. You have the anointed one. The one that was appointed. It was anointed. It was appointed. It was... This is the the one that um, would fulfill the the capacity of the Savior. And so as the Messiah, as the Savior, this is the one that would be anointed by God. This is the Christ. This is the one that they were looking forward to. And so... The Israelites, they knew that the Christ was coming. They knew that the anointed one, the the Savior, the Messiah, was on his way. But what they didn't truly understand was the reason why he was coming. They didn't fully understand the reason for his His mission, his objective, once he would get here, uh, arrive on the earth. They believed, they believed that he was coming to overthrow the dominant Roman Empire. And that he was going to make Israel this powerful political force or this powerful nation here on earth again. And this is is the reason why they missed so much of of what... or the Christ. They, They missed the arrival of the Christ. Many of them did. Many of the Jews missed the very signs that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ because they were all looking in the natural for something to arise, for a king to come up and to arise. But Jesus, um, when he came, he fulfilled it all in a spiritual manner. He did establish a new kingdom here on earth. But it was a new kingdom, a different kind of kingdom. And so many, many Jews, they missed uh, they missed this Christ, this one who they had been looking forward to for all of this all of these centuries and, and and millennium and and so uh, when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, his true objective this is our next our next blank what was his mission His true objective was to save people's souls from hell he wasn't coming to destroy the the Roman Empire. He was coming to overthrow the devil's empire. He was coming to overthrow something that was much uh, longer lasting, as far as its its bondage on not just that one little nation of Israel, but the bondage that it had over the entire globe, and that was something that had been established way back with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, then all of a sudden we have a new prince and power of the air that came onto the scene. And you have the devil that came. And and Jesus Christ came to destroy devil, the devil. He came to destroy sin. He came to destroy uh, the, the effects of death and the power that death has over us so that we could resurrect. He was the first resurrection so that we can also have a resurrection, right? If Jesus Christ never would have resurrected from the grave, then we would have no hope of a future. We would have no hope for a, a, a resurrection someday, but there will be on that one, some glad morning, on when this life is over, I'll fly away. Come on, on that, in that happy land of promise over in the great beyond. Come on, we'll be walking on streets of gold. We will see him face to face. What a day that will be. Come on, what a day that will be to to meet Jesus Christ there. Once again, to come into that, that, that place where God is seated on the throne. Amen. But none of that could happen if Jesus would not have come and overthrown sin and death and resurrected from the dead. So I want to get there. Um. I think you're already turned there in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read just here um, about the arrival of Jesus Christ. Familiar passage for the, for the month of December, but we're going to be read it, read it here in the month of May. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll just stop there quickly, just uh, to uh, explain kind of some of the verbiage that we read here in these scriptures. Uh, verse eighteen, it, it says that Mary was espoused to Joseph. Verse nineteen, it refers to Joseph as her husband, and um, in that in, in that time, he, Joseph was not yet her husband. Uh, but in this betrothal uh, that that they had entered uh, entered into, this they were uh, not yet husband and wife, as far as they had not gone through with the marriage. But they were committed to one another. And so as being committed to one another, um they uh they refer to Joseph here as her husband uh because that's what he would become, but uh here at this point they were espoused to to one another. They were um they were fiance was I guess the, the term that we would use today. And so it says Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay so we have the arrival of Jesus this is the uh before Jesus has even arrived the uh proclamation that comes from the angel and just to um uh, just to, to kind of dive into that just a little bit more so we have what's happening here is that is that uh Mary being pregnant Joseph was uh somewhat confused by this as you can imagine having never slept with her he says himself at first questioning well what should i do here my fiance is pregnant what you know what she she had an angel that came and told her why but can i truly you know believe that because that seems pretty far fetched and besides that what is everybody else going to think what are, what are what's the opinion going to be of this this woman who I am marrying this young girl who she has she's always been just she's always been pure in everything that she does and but but yet she's pregnant here before we're even married and, and so it says that he's going to put her away he's going to send her away is, is what we would see is is that he ends up sending her away to go and to be with her, her cousin, Elizabeth, the, the mother of, of John the Baptist. But, but then uh, to, to uh, allay the fears and the, the questions that Joseph himself had, an angel comes to, to meet him in the night. And this is really the about the only thing that we see uh, as far as Joseph's role. In the life of Jesus, is that he's the one who names Jesus? We don't really see Joseph playing much more of a role um, beyond this. Of course, he was there the night that Jesus was born. He was there when Jesus was lost at twelve years old uh, at in, in Jerusalem. But uh, but as far as the an, an impact on the life of Jesus, uh, what we see from Scripture is that. Uh, that Joseph was the one who named Jesus. And he wasn't the one that came up with the name because if he would have come up with the name, it probably would have been a family name. But rather, this angel comes and says, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So why why Jesus, with that explanation, he shall save his people from his his sins? What does the name Jesus mean? What was that? Means Savior. There's a little bit there at the beginning as well. Jehovah, Savior. Jehovah, Savior, or Je- Jehoshua is the actual Hebrew name of this, uh, of, of Jesus, or Yeshua. Uh, and, uh, that is also the same name as our, as our Old Testament, Joshua. And so we see Joshua, Jesus, uh, which means Jehovah Savior, because it says, name him Jehovah Savior, for that will be his role here on earth. That Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will come and he will save his people from their sins. And so and so, this is the, the really the role that Joseph uh, plays in the life of Jesus from an early age um, or before he's really even born. Is that he's the one who would name, uh, who would name this Christ child, the Anointed One, this one that um, his espoused wife Mary would give birth to. So in these in these verses we learn these couple of things. Verses twenty two and twenty three. We learn that his birth was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. It mentioned that prophecy in there. It says, all this was done, which was spoken, uh, so that it could be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Okay, Jesus um, would go by that, that title, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy uh, coming into effect here. Uh, we also learn that he was the son of God. Verse 18 says that he was, uh, that Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So that Jesus Christ was the son of God. And we learn that he would be the savior. That's why his name would be Jesus. We learn in verse 23 that he was God dwelling inside of a human body. I think this is very important for us to to realize that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% human. He was not some angelic being coming down that uh, did, you know, just like had the form of a human. No, he was he was as fully human as we are human. So he had the same kind of emotions that we had. He had the same kind of uh, same kind of thoughts and, uh, and, and and temptations that we would face. Jesus faced the same things. The only difference is that he was also fully God. He had the full Spirit of God dwelling inside of him, and so. I think I had the question, um, uh, I had a question earlier uh, that was turned in that uh, somebody had asked how, uh, if God is omnipresent, does that mean that Jesus was omnipresent or, or how, does, how does an omnipresent God take himself and, and fully put himself into this man, Jesus Christ? Does that mean that God is not also everywhere else? that question kind of makes sense okay so if if jesus is fully god then does that mean that god is not also everywhere else at the time when jesus was walking around on earth and here's here's my my answer uh to that is that while jesus was fully god he had the full spirit of god in him that does not mean that God was was missing from the heavens and missing from other places on Earth. God was still everywhere. And so, uh, to maybe maybe I could use this example: uh, if you were to go and uh, if I were to ask uh, Nathaniel, if I were to send you over to Bixler Lake right now, and uh, to have you dip a, a big bowl into Bixler Lake and, and to bring that that lake back here, bring that that water from the lake. Back here, would you say that what he brought back has the full essence of, of the lake, of Bixler Lake, right? It's, it is it is fully that is that is all of all of the water. It's not all of the water, but it is it is everything that encapsulates what Bixler Lake is. Okay, that doesn't mean that there's not still Bixler Lake out there, and the same is true with with Jesus Christ that He had the full capacity of what God was. He is the full spirit of God. That doesn't mean that God was completely wrapped up in inside of Jesus and missing from everywhere else. That Jesus Christ, he was fully God and fully man all at the same time. And so um, so that's who this this child is that was born on that day. And so after his, his miraculous birth, Really, there's not much said about Jesus' childhood, uh, except for one little snapshot of him at the age of 12. And we can read this. If you want to turn to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, gives us this one little snapshot of, of Jesus' At 12 years old, verse 41, says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Before you think that, they were just some horrible Parents, which I don't know, maybe they still were. Uh, what was custom uh, customary of that time is that they would travel in very large groups uh, with with people from their town. They would make these pilgrimages uh, to Jerusalem during these these times of these feasts, and so they're traveling with a large group of people. And uh, they had spent some time there in Jerusalem, and they are ready to make their way back and. Uh, They didn't realize that Jesus had stayed behind there in Jerusalem. It says, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And then they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. It came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? I want to kind of get back to that uh, uh, response that Mary had. Could you imagine yourself in her situation, thinking that you lost the son of God? <laughs> God, how, I mean, I mean, I, 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 think to myself that you know, times in parenting. God, how can you? How did you trust me to raise my children? You know, there's times when, when we, you know, we do something at, and we're like, how, how did you trust me to do this? But Mary, she's like, how did you trust me to raise your son? and, and here I am, and I lost him. She's like, you scared me to death. We were sorrowing for you. We thought that you were long gone. And he says, his response to her, why are, you, why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I'm here doing my father's business? Okay, a reminder, this child is not like my other children. She has some other children by this time. He's not like my other children. And they didn't understand the saying that he would, it, he said to them. Verse 51 says, that He went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So here's Mary. She's pondering over all these things. You know, just learning what it means to raise the Son of God. And we see this Jesus who was... Fully God and fully man. He increased in wisdom and stature as fully man. He increased in favor with God and with man. In other words, his, his spirit continued to, uh, to to grow strong and, and to, to be connected with God. And it grew. And he, he continued in his favor with man. okay? Because, because he's growing as a man. But yet, even though he increased in wisdom we see that he knew all things, right? We see in his ministry, his later ministry, that there were times when, when people were talking, when the, the publicans and, or, the, uh, uh, or the Pharisees, when they would uh, be thinking things of Jesus and Jesus could read their mind, he knew exactly what they were thinking because he knew all things. And so he was fully God and fully man. This is Jesus Christ. So before Jesus actually began his ministry, uh, which was at 30 years of age, the Lord sent a prophet to Israel to help prepare the people's hearts, to help them realize that this is the time, that this is the hour, the day that you have been waiting for, and, and that the arrival of the Christ is imminent. This prophet was named John. So John, he didn't preach in a temple. John wasn't there in Jerusalem preaching these messages, but instead, he lived off the land. He was, uh, he was this crazy man that lived out in the wilderness. He was likely um, uh, what, what appears to be uh, a, a certain group or certain sect of the Jews uh, that was called the Essenes, e S S E N E, he was likely uh, affiliated with them as, as these this group. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes were another group um, of, of Jews at that at that time in history. That the Essenes were a group that uh, they lived outside in the wilderness areas. They uh, they were very much about uh, a prayer and fasting. They they dedicated themselves to prayer and fasting. They dedicated themselves to uh this 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 life where they were you'd almost think today of, of a monk someone who was um spent much of their time alone and uh it was the Essenes in fact that they were the ones that would have um would have taken care of what we now have in our possession the the Dead Sea Scrolls they were the ones that were the caretakers of Of many of the, the texts, the ancient texts, and they, and so, so John, being associated with them, living out in the wilderness, dedicating his whole life to, to God, he, he comes onto the scene as a crazy man, preaching this message of repentance out at the River Jordan. The people, they receive his message, and, and John, he would begin to baptize these people in the Jordan River as the symbol of a spiritual cleansing that needed to take place in their lives because something different was getting ready to come onto the scene and that something different was the arrival of the Christ. As a result of his baptizing ministry, he was known uh, as John the Baptist. John the Baptist, that's what we typically refer to him as. And we can read about this. We want to turn back to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It says In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And then went out to him Jerusalem. All of Judea. All of the region round about Jordan. And they were baptized of him and Jordan confessing their sins. I want to set the stage just a little, a little bit again. It had been 400 years since there had been someone like John. 400 years since a prophet of God had been on the scene. Since someone... Uh, Malachi being being the last of, of the, the prophets that were there, and in 400 years later, we finally have a prophet. We call this uh, or refer to that as the time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament: the 400 years of silence, meaning that there was there was not a the um, authoritative uh, word given from God. For 400 years. It's not to say that there were not people who were still devoted to God. Still people who who uh, were trying to serve God during that 400 years. But there had not been a prophet of God for 400 years. Until John the Baptist comes onto the scene. And so you have all these people that are coming out. Because they've never witnessed somebody like him. I don't know that he would have been so much... Different from a man like Ezekiel, who himself was a pretty crazy man. Ezekiel, who uh, he would roll around in the dirt and he shaved all his hair off at some point and uh, was, was kind of uh, doing some pretty wild things uh, as God had instructed him to do to get the attention of Israel. But, uh, but it had been 400 years since anybody like that had been on the, on the scene. And so John, he's he's coming, and and he gets the attention of the people. And and in fact, he was he was the one who, when he says, uh, when it says that uh, this prophet Isaiah Isaiah was speaking of him as being the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's speaking of John. Speaking of John, the Baptist, that there would be one that would come and make be the the preparation. For the ministry of the Christ, uh, I, want, I want to pause because there is there is still today, still today, there are Jews that are looking for this prophet right here. There's still Jews today that are looking for the arrival of this prophet who would announce the coming of the Christ. In fact, um, in fact, I would, I would. Uh, Love to, to talk to you at some point, Sister, Sister Eve, having a, a background with this. But uh, from from my studies, from what I have uh, uh, have read, and, and perhaps you can confirm this that there is during the Seder, during the Passover meal, that there is uh, it is customary for the uh, for the, the the Jews to set aside one plate that is empty during this meal, and the reason is. Because there is a prophecy saying that that there there would be one who would join. It would be this prophet that would come and that would join. And that was the preparation. They would know that then, then the Christ can come. Then the Savior, then the Messiah can come. So still today, there are many, millions. I see your head shaking. Okay. Don't have this all wrong. That this is still the custom today that people are looking for John the Baptist. Or rather, they're looking for... Isaiah is what they would say. They're looking for this, the one who Isaiah prophesied of, this prophet who would prepare the way of the Lord. Let's get back to our verses here. Verse 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he, uh, he doesn't take it easy on them. Rather, the opposite. He says to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance. But we think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He's not there to placate the religious among them. He's not there to, to, to let them just, just say, okay, all that you guys have been doing is, is great. No, he says it is time to get to a place of true repentance. Come on. And, and this, this ought to speak to us today, too. This message is still true today that we need to wake up. We cannot go through the motions of religion. We cannot let, let this gospel message become Just religion. We cannot let this become something that we live out as the Pharisees and the Sadducees lived out. Where it was just a bunch of rules that we followed. And we make everybody else follow the rules. But no. This is something about a relationship. This. Come on. We got to have relationship. And we need to have something. A heart transformation that takes place. And that's what John's really getting to. He's saying. Hey you Pharisees and Sadducees. You. You're living all this, and you're pointing back to Abraham, and you're saying, go on, we're the special ones, we're his children. And John says, don't you realize, God, he doesn't care about your lineage. He doesn't care about your family tree. In fact, he could take these stones right here, and he could raise up another people. He could raise up somebody that would be even greater than you. Who do you think that you are? God is wanting something from your heart. God wants true repentance to come. And come on, could we wake up and realize God is searching for somebody. He's searching for a people that's not just going through the motions. He's searching for somebody like this past Sunday when we gathered into this place. And we said, God, I must have you. God, I must have your presence. Lord, And, and let there be nothing else, God. Lord, more than I would, more than I would desire. Lord, I just want to be in your presence. And he's calling them to this place of repentance. In fact, he says, if you're not bringing forth good fruit, you're going to be hewn down. You're going to be cast into the fire. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes that I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That the ministry of the one who would come after Jesus or come after John would be so much greater that it is not going to be just a baptism of water, but there would be something inside of them—the Holy Ghost. Now, now, when we. Th- Think the Holy Ghost. They didn't have quite the same reference point that we do. We think of, okay, an experience that I had where God filled me uh, with, with his spirit and um, began to speak in tongues. They didn't have that reference point. But what he's saying is there's one who's coming after me who will baptize you. How, how do you get baptized with God's spirit? How are you baptized with God's spirit? What does it mean to be baptized? Okay, that's what what water baptism in the name of Jesus does. It remits our sins. What is is the word baptized? To be immersed completely. To be completely immersed. Now when we talk about baptism in, in water, we're talking about completely immersed in the water. To be completely under. And to be completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. That's what John's saying Jesus is coming to do. Is to to let you have a full body experience. To be completely immersed in God's Spirit. To have Him come inside of you. But it can't just be just some little thing. Some little part of your life. Your life needs to be completely immersed in the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. To baptize you with the Holy Ghost. From head to toe, for everything in your life, for your mind to be changed, for your hands and your feet and your mouth and your eyes, everything, every part of you will be changed when the Holy Ghost comes in you. When you are baptized with the Spirit, every part of you will be transformed. That's what true spirit baptism is all about. A complete life transformation. Amen. Where are we at in our study tonight? All right. Much like much like uh, when when Jesus Christ came onto the scene, John's ministry was uh, was prophesied of in the Old Testament. I guess I already mentioned that. But Malachi was the one uh, also that said this um, besides Isaiah. Malachi said, behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. This is a prophecy of, of John's ministry. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So John's message, very simple message, simply repent. Repentance. This repentance is is meaning to turn away, to change your mind, to change your direction. That's what repentance is all about. And that was Getting the attention of Israel to change the direction that they were heading to repent is to acknowledge your sin to God. And when He convicts you of of sin, if you truly repent, then you stop doing it, you stop practicing it. That's what repentance is all about. When God convicts you, you stop doing it, you turn. In fact, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's what repentance is all about. To confess and to forsake our sins so that we can obtain mercy. See, John the Baptist, his objective was to tell people to repent so that they could be focused on this impending public ministry of Jesus Christ who's getting ready to come onto the scene instead of instead of focusing on their sin, because when Jesus was coming onto the scene, he was needing to minister to some people, but first they had to get some sin out of their life so that they could receive the word that Jesus had for them that's what John's ministry was doing was was helping people get this get some things figured out so they could receive Jesus and all of his ministry okay so we have we have uh, this ministry of Jesus Christ. And though Jesus was the anointed one of God, he still submitted himself to this process of preparation for his public ministry. And and we can read about this. We can can just continue this story in Matthew chapter 3 with John. Here in verse 13 it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus, answering, said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. So Jesus, when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting Upon him, and though a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. OK. Ask the, the question, ask you the question, uh, why, why did Jesus need to be baptized or why did Jesus, why was Jesus baptized here? If We could have this interactive if anybody has any. Ideas as who, who said that the sister sister turner yeah to be an example to be an example i think that is that is probably the, the 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 greatest reason that that we could have for why jesus was baptized because jesus was sinless okay this was not to wash away his sins he was he was sinless in fact where we are born with sin jesus was born of the Spirit of God. He was not even born into sin, which would have been passed down from uh, from from his uh, an earthly father, but rather his father was was God, was the Spirit, and so he was a sinless man. So he was not to be born, uh, or was not to be baptized to have his sins washed away, but rather this was as an example. And in fact, the, the uh, message that he says is to fulfill all righteousness. That was in verse 15. He says, I need to be baptized in order to fulfill fulfill all righteousness. So he's he's saying to John, he says, I need to be baptized because this is out of the process of of righteousness. The process to become right involves this, this baptism that needs to take place. And as an example to everyone who would come after me, I must submit and be baptized as well out of this process of righteousness. And so he's an example to us that, um, that we must also be baptized. So John uh, baptizes Jesus Christ. And uh, in that moment, we see some uh, some other things that take place during this baptism uh, that, are, that are pretty miraculous. And one is that uh, we have a dove that comes, descends down from heaven. And then a voice comes out of the heaven as a light is shining down on Jesus, and the voice says, "Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased." okay again, this is the confirmation of who Jesus Christ really is I've said this a couple of times that he is fully God and fully man this is the Spirit, the Spirit of God speaking out the confirmation of Jesus as the Son of God, as the embodiment, the, the, the human form of God here on earth. That's what, that's what's happening here. This is not one God up in heaven speaking out about another God that's down here on earth, but rather this is the one God speaking out the confirmation of this is my embodiment. This is the son, the human flesh, the human flesh that is, is here on earth. This is him. Okay. It's not a God up in heaven. Crying or or speaking out about another God that's down here on Earth, but this is the one God speaking out about this human embodiment of Him here on Earth. So when we read the word "Son of God," you could you could in your mind think of this: this is the flesh of God. Okay, God, He is a spirit; He does not have flesh, but in Jesus Christ, He had flesh. I'm getting a little deeper on some of these things than truly the Bible study its, itself is intends on, but I want to weave some oneness, uh, oneness teaching into this and of, of who Jesus really is, the identity of Jesus Christ. Um, so at his baptism, we have God confirming uh, confirming Jesus's identity. In fact, uh, if we can continue here in verse one of the next chapter we see immediately after Jesus was baptized what takes place in the the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says that uh, Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. Again, fully man. Um, I think all of us would be in the same boat. After not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Kind of the uh, understatement of the century there. He was hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. And so the tempter came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and he setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Okay? He's using Scripture to tempt Jesus. He's using Scripture. He's saying, He's saying, If you're the Son of God... Then, then really when, when the danger comes, then there should be angels that would pick you up. You know, you have charge. You can tell them whatever they want. But Jesus comes back to him. He says, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Jesus said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Actually, it says, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth leave him. And behold, the angels came, and they ministered unto him. What? an example. Jesus already showing us the example of baptism and now he shows us the example of what to do in the midst of temptation. We turn to the word of God. We turn to the word of God. And how can you turn to the word of God if you do not have it hidden in your heart? The most likely time that you're going to be tempted is not when you have this right in front of you. You're not going to be. You're most likely not going to be tempted when this is within your reach—a physical copy of the Bible. You're going to be tempted when when that's far away. You're going to be tempted in times when uh, uh, when when uh, you're, you're you're not here in a church and and you're not you're not sitting here in, in a building, um, you know, with with the rest of this church congregation. You're going to be tempted in places where you need to have the word of God hit in your heart. And just like Jesus did, you turn to the word and you say, this is a promise unto me. And I do not have to turn and to listen to this voice of temptation. that's coming to me. I turn to the word of God because I have strength in Jesus Christ. Well, you have every tool that's needed in order to overcome the temptation but we must hide the word of god in our heart i think there's no greater um no greater ministry that we have had for our young people in um in over these past several years than bible quizzing we've had uh, some of our students that have have had um got involved in Bible quizzing, and what a powerful tool for when the temptation comes. Uh, there's no more powerful tool than to have the Word of God hidden in our hearts. Jesus shows us this example of what to do in the in the midst of temptation. We turn to the Word of God. Amen. Let's, let's finish this up here in this last part of this, this study here tonight, which is um, in the public ministry of Jesus when it begins. After being tempted in the wilderness, after going there and fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, um, he comes, comes out uh, in, into a public light of ministry at 30 years of age. And the kingdom that, um, or Jesus, he, he begins declaring, he says, I repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message, really the first message that he preaches in a temple. And the kingdom that he was speaking of was not a physical kingdom. He's speaking of a spiritual kingdom. He didn't come to destroy the kingdom of, uh, of, of the Romans, the kingdoms of this world, but he had come to destroy the kingdom of Satan in in and of sin so that humanity could be born again into the kingdom of God. That is, that is the kingdom that Jesus came for. And so... Um, that was in John three three that he was saying, uh, most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We're speaking of a, a spiritual kingdom. Colossians one thirteen says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. It's a spiritual kingdom. And as Jesus preached, he also began to invest in the lives of others. We see him teaching and, and preaching to large, large groups of, of hundreds, thousands of people. But there were a certain set of disciples that Jesus invested in. Certain individuals that he, we would call disciples, and this has been uh, a theme of, of many of our um, Bible studies of, of late of, of discipleship and being a disciple. And, and Jesus himself, he, he called disciples. And this, this, is, this is where we see today the, how Jesus began this whole kingdom uh, of God was with disciples. And I believe that we should s- truly still take the same approach today is to disciple people, to bring people and, and to to help them. Uh, to learn to be disciples, and they could be disciples even of us as we follow Christ. As as Paul says, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Be a disciple of me as I follow Jesus Christ. So we see, uh, let's let's just read this passage in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. We see Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brethren... Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brothers, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. It's so the first four disciples of, of Jesus. And in fact, we, we see in, in some other Gospels, it explains a little bit of, of why these individuals would go and so um, so willingly believe that Jesus was, uh, was a, a very special man of God. And it's because Andrew was not just a disciple of Jesus, but before that, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. And that when Andrew, as a disciple of John the Baptist, was there the day that Jesus stepped onto the scene when John baptized him. And he heard John say, this is the one. This is the one who will baptize you with fire, with, with the Holy Ghost and fire. This is the one who all of my ministry has been leading to. And he points them to Jesus. And then Jesus comes by as Andrew is there at his job. Mending the nets of the fishing, of the, the fishing nets. And, and he comes and he calls Andrew. And Andrew says, hey, Peter, brother, this is the one I was telling you about. This is the one that John pointed to. This is the one that John baptized. He's the one. And yeah, he's calling us right now. And so they dropped their nets and they became fishers of men. Amen. What, what a day. What a, an incredible um, time, I'm sure, for these four men here as they come and they, were, they step onto the scene as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that word disciple, that word disciple, um, let me ask, what does, what does that mean? It is someone who would learn, it is a, it is a student or a, someone who is willing to be taught by the one that they're following. It's a student. It's one who, uh, as, as I've often said, a disciple is, is somebody who is willing to uh, let their priorities be changed A disciple of Jesus Christ is somebody who still today would allow their, uh, uh, their, their priorities, their things that they, uh, they believe to be changed when Jesus Christ comes and asks you to change them. Because you're a disciple. So here's our challenge for us today. We should desire to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called just like Peter, just like Andrew, just like James and John, just like Matthew, Thaddeus, just like uh, Bartholomew, just like uh, uh, Thomas and, and Judas and, and, and James. All these, these, these 12 disciples that we read about in Scripture and the, the many others who are disciples of Jesus. We must be disciples of him. We must be followers and students of a man who knew no sin. John chapter 8, verse 31 says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Let's get into his word. Let's allow him to continue to change us. Amen. We must be disciples of Jesus Christ yet today. This is the ministry of Jesus. This is right here. What every... Uh, everything in scripture was pointing to is the arrival of Jesus Christ and how that changed the, the course of the world when Jesus came. It changed everything. It changed everything. And I'm thankful it changed my life. Come on, are you thankful today? If you're thankful that Jesus Christ has changed your life, put your hands together. Amen. I'm thankful that he came, that he's still alive today. Amen. In fact, let's just stand. Let's just stand all throughout this place here tonight. Amen. He came and he's changed my life. Amen. If he's changed yours, let's just slip a hand up in the air and let's just dismiss in prayer tonight. Lord, we are so thankful, God, that we could come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that you would come, Lord, in, in, in flesh, that you would uh, come as, as, a, as a man and, and, and be tempted and to face everything that we face. Lord, that you would come and that you would abide on this earth and and that you, God, would experience everything that I've experienced, Lord, as a man, but yet you did it without sin. Lord, I praise you. I lift you up, God. I thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Lord, help me. Help me today, Lord, to continue to be a disciple, to pursue you. God, to follow after you. God, the disciples, they had to put down everything. They had to drop their nets. They had to to drop their, uh, Lord, everything that was important to them in order to follow you. So let us do the same today. God, put aside everything that would be more important than you. God, to be disciples, to be learners, to be pursuing you in every day that we live. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen. We're looking forward to services this Sunday. Please. Amen. Come expecting God to do a great thing on Sunday. Amen. God bless you.